Once again, Rom drew more than 20,000 bluegrass and folk fans to Yellow Creek Park in Davis County during the last week of June. And this is our 2019 Romp Recap. Stay with us. This is Inquire. From the Mystery Inquirer, I'm Don Wilkins. And this is our annual Romp Recap. And this year I had the pleasure of talking with Jake Workman, who's the guitarist for Ricky Skaggs' bluegrass group and country group, Kentucky Thunder, and also Jenny Lynn Gardner, who is the mandolin player for Della May. But first, I wanted to start with Randy Lanham, who is the education director for the Bluegrass Museum and Hall of Fame here in Owensboro. For several months leading up to Romp, he worked with the young and old who wanted to learn and play bluegrass instruments such as mandolin, the fiddle, and banjo. And then it comes to a crescendo at Romp with his students taking the stage. Take a listen, and then you'll hear my interview with Randy Lanham. All right, we got one more song, so we're going to get out of here. We're going to leave you with one called Blue Moon, Kentucky. Y'all sing along with us now. Randy's fresh off the morning stage uh, with the Bluegrass All-Stars and how, how long have you been doing the Bluegrass All-Stars? And it has been about 16 years ago when I took the uh, education director uh, position at the Bluegrass Music Museum and so basically that long ago is when we started doing this program where we performed on ROM. At the time Gabrielle Gray was the director and she's the one who said, you know what would be good for our le Saturday lessons is if we if we start, you know, in the winter time and go all the way and do a performance at Romp. And I thought, that is a great idea. What better way to inspire people to take lessons than to say, hey, we got this goal of doing lessons for five months and at the end, do a performance at Romp, you know? So that's how long ago it started, man. I've been doing it ever since. Yeah, and it, and it exposes, uh, I mean, for me, you know, I've done this, I've uh, been part of your group for a couple of times now, and you know, and I remember when I first started out, and for me, that was one of the things that I wanted to do was play up on the ROM stage. But I wanted to make sure that you know I knew I knew the material, I knew how to play. So there's motivation involved, yeah. in other words, you know. Yes. Um, so some kids, you know, you know, they may start it, may stop, and but with this, with what you guys do. Um, there's a lot of motivation to, you know, to improve, uh, and, and and whenever you get with with any instrument, practice is right. always the key. 
yeah, if you have that goal of a performance, whether it be a romp, and then we even do performances at local nursing homes as well. And to me, that's an important uh, role as well for our fall lessons we do, and then even the spring lessons in the band class. You know, we go, uh, I believe you joined us on that a few yep. weeks ago, uh, doing in the nursing home, because I, I really enjoy, uh, you know, another one of my jobs is being the director of Volunteer Warrensboro. So I'm big on volunteering and, and, and inspiring that volunteerism. So I love being able to take students, whether private students of mine that I teach, I have about 50 private students, as well as the, the groups at the museum. Romp, yes, it's awesome to perform at Romp, but I love for them to you know, look in the eyes of some of the residents at the nursing homes and see how much joy it brings them. Because I want them to leave not only learning the instrument, but learning the value of giving back with it. You know, So I really strive to do that, uh, again, with my private lessons and the group lessons at the museum. And you do, I mean, I, I know you personally have done so much to promote, not just bluegrass, but just being a musician. You know, you can take the instruments into the class, exposing them to instruments, the mandolin, banjo, the, the fiddle, all these different, that these kids may not have been exposed to otherwise. And um, how long have you guys been doing that? Uh, about the same amount of time, probably about the last 14 or 15 years I've been actually going into the schools, into the classrooms, doing the bluegrass in the schools. And yeah, like you said, I work directly with the music teachers. They'll decide we want to do banjo, fiddle, mandolin, or guitar. And I typically spend about a week at each school, elementary school, working with third, fourth, and fifth graders. Sometimes I work with all three grades. Sometimes the music teacher says, hey, we just want to work with the fifth grade this week. So I'll let the music teachers decide what instrument they want, what grade level they want to work with, let them set the schedule. And I go in and I teach them as much as possible on that instrument in the amount of time that I have. And I, one of the, my favorite things to do, I get to go into to some of these schools and some of these kids have never touched an instrument before. You can tell they haven't. And, uh, and and I'm like Santa Claus. I walk in with all these instruments and these kids are like, what? I get to play one of these for the week? And you should see the smiles on their faces. But not only that initial picking that instrument up, strumming, making a bunch of noise is fun for them. But when I start working with them, I strive to be able to teach them a little something. Maybe that's a simple melody. Maybe that's a few chords on the mandolin and, and we're able to sing through Blue Moon of Kentucky really slowly or something like that. But I love to see the look on their face when they realize, they first realize, I'm playing a song on an instrument that I've only had in my hand for a few days. Now, it's not a fancy song. It's not hard. But it's something that gives them confidence. And I see the light in their eyes. like It's almost like they feel like they... They could never do that, and I try to prove to them that, yes, this is something that you can do. Now, some of these folks are going to go on to be musicians. Maybe some of them go and take our Saturday lesson programs or go do private lessons somewhere. But even if they never touch another instrument, I hope that they leave. I hope that I'll leave that classroom instilled in them that the confidence that, yes, you know, you can do something that you thought that you couldn't. Mm -hmm. So maybe that carries over to, to other dreams or ideas that they have in their life. You know, I think we put these musicians or these scientists or whatever we're talking about on a pedestal sometimes, and, and we think, man, I could never achieve that. Yeah. But I love to tell the kids that, yes, you can. You know, they, they, you know, you talk about Bill Monroe, or I'll tell them Elvis Presley, or I'll tell them a, a Taylor Swift or whoever they're into at the time. I'm like, 
they are no better than you. They started the same as you. Yeah. You know, so it can be done. And one of the things I, I, I thought was really cool too with, with everything you guys do and with your bluegrass all-stars is that not having an, an instrument is an obstacle because you guys provide those instruments. That's right. You know, years ago, again, when we kind of started this off, we really didn't know what we was doing, but we just wanted to expose people to bluegrass music and playing. And the director at that time, you know, we sat down realizing that some of these kids that I were going into the schools and introducing them to get all excited about playing, but then what's the obstacle? Well, I can't buy an instrument. I, I, you know, I, I would hear some of the kids, and some of them still say today, you say, well, Randy, I, I don't have an instrument. We can't afford an instrument. And so we said, well, we're going to have to do something about that. So we started raising grants, writing for grants and sponsorship money, and we started slowly collecting instruments, mandolins, fiddles, banjos, and guitars, so that when someone wants to take lessons, we make it available to them. We have scholarships. So if someone's in a situation where they can't even pay for the lesson, they get they can sign up, uh, sign the papers for the scholarship, and there's certain a uh, certain amount of scholarship money available for students. So literally, if you want to learn how to play an instrument, we want to make yeah. that happen for you. And so just now talk about, as we're walking over here, you talked about Romp and how it's grown so much over the years. And you know, actually, what started down by the river there, right? Uh, Fan Fest Eng and Bluegrass and Class, yes. Those now, festivals. Were you ever part of any of that? I was. I played in some bands that, that opened up those shows years and years ago. Absolutely. So, uh, and I, yeah, I've seen it from then. And then, of course, I moved to Nashville and I was gone out of the scene for about 10 to 15 years. And then, stood, when I came back off the road and moved back to Orangeboro, is when I started getting into this. And that's about the time Romp started. That's about the time I got this position. And I've watched this thing grow like crazy. The first few years, I can remember the crowd being small and there not being near as many things going on and it seems like every year it has grown. And what they have done, the staff at the Bluegrass Music Museum has been great because they learn every year. They learn what went good and what went bad. And so the next year they tweak that. And then they study other uh, big festivals and they see what's working for them and they're getting ideas. So it's just growing and growing and growing. What I've seen through the years, it became to where nobody even knew what Romp was. So now it's one of the most popular festivals, not only in this county, of course, every, all these local folks, thanks to these uh, Saturday lessons and the performance, you know, a lot of these folks come for the first time. Just today's the first time they come, but guess what? They'll be back next year yeah. and a year after that. But even people from out of state and around the country uh, and around the world are coming here to romp because it has grown in to become one of the biggest folk-type festivals in the country. And, and I'm proud to say, you know, that it started here and it, it's right here in Davis County, Yellow Creek Park. Yeah, and, and it just means so much to this area, to the museum, to bluegrass music and just everything. Um, you know, I'm just growing up here, and, and just over the past 10 years, you know, you guys just added the, the new museum, the new Bluegrass Hall of Fame Museum, and and how much that has added more to the downtown and, and this festival now. I mean, it's one big compliment to each other now, and it's just yes. really cool to see how it's all evolved. You know, from from this little idea that started at English Park, and now it's yeah this big you know this big this big deal now yes that people you know 
not only locally but from around the country you know, plan their four days around or five days around they'll take a vacation off work i mean whenever people yes. plan their work vacations around your festival i mean you know you've done something that's right and you drive through the parking lot and you see these uh license plates from all these different states man it's it's a good feeling and i'm and i'm fortunate enough to to be part of the local uh, newspaper and get to come out and 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 be part of this and, and i was talking with the executive director chris joslin you know and i said you know Technically, I'm still on vacation right now, but I needed, you know, we need to come out here and get some content for the podcast. But I said, really, for me, doing, being part of Romp and doing this, and not, it doesn't feel like work. Yeah, know? exactly. <laughs> just, it don't. It's just fun. Yeah, so you get to come out and have access that, you know, not a lot of people get to have, but you get to just be part of the experience. And I, and I just enjoy being able to talk to folks like yourself, and then I'll be talking to musicians and whoever else will want to uh, sit down and talk with me so i appreciate your time randy absolutely absolutely thank you all right man you take care and uh i'll probably be joining your class next year sounds good <laughs> we'll see you then Thanks. one of the things that i enjoy about romp is their workshops that are held up in the pioneer village part of yellow creek park and it's actually conducted by the world-class bluegrass musicians themselves and this year I had the privilege of talking to Jake Workman, the guitarist for Ricky Skaggs' Kentucky Thunder, and Jenny Lynn Gardner, the mandolin player for Della May. And I sit in on their workshops and watched how they interacted with the fans and the audience and gave tips and, and performed along the way and answered questions. And it was just a really cool, intimate setting to see them give back like they did. And so I'm going to give you a taste of Jake Workman's performance and Jenny Lynn, and then you'll hear their interviews uh, right after. Jake Workman. I play for Ricky Skaggs in Kentucky Thunder and uh, I've been working for him since the end of uh, December of 2015 and uh, I, lo I love that gig. He's, he's a super hero of mine. Uh, I grew up playing all kinds of music but I think bluegrass is what kind of stole my heart the most so I, I spent a lot of time on it. And uh, Now what age did you get, did you start playing guitar? When I was 13 and, I, and I'd, I didn't start in bluegrass, I started playing, you know, I got a guitar for a birthday and I just started playing rock and roll. I, I loved the Beatles at the time and I, I still do and I learned a lot of Beatles songs and um, then I kind of got in high school and rock and roll was cool, like the 80s rock, you know, stuff kind of was like a thing when I was in high school and 
so you know, I learned a lot of ACDC and Van Halen and all, all sorts of music in, uh, in that world, and, and the, that's kind of the genres that sort of taught me how to play fast. And then when I came over to bluegrass, I had a, a new language to learn, but the speed was there. Um, so I just kind of honed it in for bluegrass. But I got a banjo when I was 14, about a year and a half after I played, uh, got, got my first guitar, and that kind of introduced me to bluegrass. But bluegrass on, a, on, on the guitar rather than the banjo didn't happen for me for another few years until I kind of got more, got more exposed to it. I guess I started to learn to like it. But at first I didn't, I didn't love bluegrass. It was just okay to me. Now, where'd you, um, where, where did you grow up? Man? I grew up in Salt Lake, in Draper, Draper, Utah, but just south of Salt Lake City there. And, so, uh, did, so was there a lot of uh, bluegrass uh, in that area growing up? I mean, uh, um, not. I mean, there was enough to get to a couple jam sessions. You know, one, there was one Wednesday night jam at a pizza place that I, I, I really learned a lot at just by playing with other people. But they, I don't think they were the best players ever, and so you know and. I wasn't taking lessons from any of them or anything like that. It was just kind of a place to go play, and it was so. Yeah, there was enough to get me by, but bluegrass is not a hotbed, or Utah's not a hotbed for bluegrass by any means, and it's not real popular there um, overall. And so there's a few few player few people around enough to play with um, in some organized jams or that Wednesday night thing, and so that's kind of where I got uh, got a lot of my learning done. And then I would travel around the country to bluegrass festivals. Um, Grass Valley, California has a festival. Uh, Seattle, uh, near Denver, Colorado, there's one called Rocky Grass. I, I went to all the West festivals and then started flying more, even further to the Eastern states and hitting a few festivals. I just wanted to jam. I didn't even, I wasn't going to perform a lot of these. I was just going to jam and that's because that's how you learn the best is by jamming. So how do you end up, how do you go from Utah to living in Nashville? Uh, well, Ricky called me when I was still living in Utah, and so I worked for him for almost a year while I still lived there, and just I was on an airplane a lot, almost every week, and uh, coming back and forth, and I kind of wanted to keep my world in Utah alive, just, just in case I wasn't feeling the continuation of playing with Ricky. I didn't want to be stuck in Nashville prematurely, so I wanted to make sure it felt right, and so then I, I got into uh, got into playing for Ricky, and then that uh, after a while, my wife and I decided to move to Nashville, thought it was the right thing to do, and I turned all my uh, students into Skype students, uh, and then I've had many students since then. So you were a guitar teacher before you joined Ricky's band, is that? Yeah, uh -huh, and I still am. That's what I do more, most of every week. I'm still full-time teaching, teaching lessons, guitar, mandolin, and banjo. And uh, now, mo mo you know, 98% of that's online, and it works really well. And interesting. Uh, so. Um, so as far as your your arc of your career, I mean, how do, I mean, you know, most guitar teachers that's what they do. I mean, they stay guitar teacher, and then you're all of a sudden playing on stage with you know one of the biggest names in bluegrass. How's that? How's that work? Yeah, it was feel? a dream phone call. I mean, I, I remember jamming to Ricky's records when I was younger, just trying to like kind of learn learn his tunes and learn how to play as well as his bands always have played, and and uh, so I was. Uh, yeah, I was uh, just when he called. When he called me, I was I couldn't believe who I was talking to. It was unreal, and so I was just so excited. I didn't immediately say yes because I mean we're we live you know about a 25-hour drive away. So now, had you guys met before at a festival or something? No, we'd never met. He 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 got my name from his previous two guitar players. They both when when the when the most recent one Cody Kilby was leaving. He, uh, he recommended me, and then Brian Sutton also recommended me, and I was honored they did. I mean, shoot, those are two of my, my favorites still. <laughs> so you get this phone call, hey, this is Ricky Skaggs. And yeah, Brian Sutton gave me your number or whatever. Yeah, something like that. So I was, I thought that was just awesome. And, and uh, he, uh, he had watched some videos of me and kind of got a feel for what I do, and he wanted to call me first, and I was super, super humbled that he did, man. I mean, shoot, 
I've uh, been in it. It's a great place for me to be right now. So, so how? So you plan all these festivals, and you you're here. And this is what the what third or fourth round for you, maybe? Uh, just the second. Second actually, one. Okay. Last, last I saw you guys last year. Yeah. Yeah. So last year was your first year round, yeah. and mm -hmm. then now you're back. And so how does this? Romp compared to a lot of the other festivals you play. Oh, it's a great, great festival. I mean, it's, I mean, sure, it's humid and hot, but so what? You know, it's, it's a great time and it's a great gathering of great people and great bands, uh, and the, the, you know, for the artists are treated very well. And I mean, no, nothing but positive for me on, on this place. It's great, and uh, we've played a lot of festivals that aren't great and aren't, aren't comfortable, and you know, the, there's no catering. <laughs> there's just, there's no food. You're, you're, you're sweaty and hungry, and it's just not a great 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 environment when it's like that the music might be great but uh but yeah this uh this is the place this is a, a great one i mean it stacks up with the best i think all right thanks for your time man yeah, you bet thanks a lot good luck to you This is Jenny Lynn. I play in the band Della May, and this is our third year playing romp. We're so excited to be back. I'm a mandolin player. I grew up in South Carolina playing the mandolin, and I met Bill Monroe when I was eight years old, and I had the pleasure of playing a song with him. There was a photo of us in the Owensboro Bluegrass Music Museum for several years. And so Kentucky has meant a lot to me just growing up on bluegrass music and having met Bill Monroe. So it's great to be back here. And I'm just so honored to get to come up here and play romp. Now how, uh, I, know you, I know you talked about this uh, during your workshop, uh, but what, how old were you when you just got into playing music? I started playing guitar when I was five years old. And I grew up um, listening to bluegrass music in my dad's pickup truck. He used to always play bluegrass music when we would drive around and he had a big bluegrass record collection. Um, he also played the banjo. My grandma Gussie played the banjo. I grew up on bluegrass. My dad had a radio show that I helped him with so I got to hear a lot of the first generation bluegrass and all the new stuff too. So um, I just grew up playing and always loved it. So then how did you get introduced to the mandolin? I got introduced to the mandolin through a builder in my hometown. There was a mandolin luthier that lived um, in my hometown and had a little shop on Main Street, and that's where I would go and buy my guitar strings. And he built mandolins, so that was the first mandolin that um, I ever saw in person, was in his 
his uh, music shop on Main Street in my hometown. Now, and, and then you talked about your, your, you started out with guitar, but then you, whenever you discovered the mandolin, how did yeah. that change your life? I had played guitar for three years when I picked up the mandolin when I was eight years old. I picked up the mandolin for the first time, and I remember the first notes that I played on it, and just, it was an aha moment for me. Um, I didn't play much guitar after that, honestly. It was all mandolin, all in. I barely remember learning. I just entrenched myself in playing every single day, and my mom would have to make me um, stop practicing to eat food to come to, to the supper table. So I just, I'm glad I, I found me. And so, so what was it? About the, about, it? about the mandolin versus the guitar that drew you Yeah, in. I've been asked this question a lot. I think it was the fact that, well, I was eight when I started playing it with tiny hands, you know. So I think for me it was just a smaller instrument with a smaller neck on it. It, it fit me better than the guitar that I was playing. Even though I had a smaller guitar, I had a little classical guitar, the mandolin just fit me so well, and I think it still does. So, Delamay, how did that get started? And, our fiddle player started the band Della May and she met me through a friend who I played in a band with. Um, she was looking for a female um, mandolin player. Della May is an all-women band that showcases women artists, but our fiddle player Kimber was looking for a female mandolin player that could improvise and really shred on the mandolin and a friend of a friend gave her my name and she called me and the rest is history. And how long have you guys been together? Almost 10 years. Oh, wow. okay. Yeah. And so Coming back to Romp, I mean, how does Romp compare yeah. to other festivals you guys play? Yeah, well, Delamay has traveled all over the world, and we've played a lot of the major festivals. We've um, traveled all over the world, and a lot of the places we've gone, we've been to over 30 countries. A lot of those places have been with the U.S. State Department. We're diplomats. We're di we do diplomacy through music. So we've gone all over the world telling people about bluegrass, the American music, folk music bluegrass and telling them about our instruments. And I've gotten to show people a mandolin and play them big a Bill Monroe song or tell them about Bill Monroe and bluegrass music for their first time seeing or hearing about the music, so. And then as far as romp is concerned, I mean, where do you, where do you put romp as far as what you, I mean, these outdoor festivals, I know it's hot and it's sometimes kind of tough, but. Yeah, well, I think romp is one of the best festivals in the country. I would, I think it's definitely one of my favorites. Okay. Thanks for your time. Thank you so much. And then there's the camping aspect of romp. There are those who bring their RVs and have those creature comforts. But then there are many who bring their tent and actually camp out for those four days and make that part of their romp experience as well. And so I went around and chatted with some folks who were camping and I stumbled upon this couple from Indiana. I guess to start by stating kind of your name and where you guys are from. I'm, I, my name's Steve, and this is Marilyn, and, okay. and uh, we're from uh, New Harmony, Indiana, between New Harmony and Mount Vernon, Indiana, okay. out in the country. Okay, yeah, I know exactly where you are. Okay. Uh, so is this your first time in Romp, or are you in No, this is our ninth or tenth year at Romp. I think it's nine. But you yeah, sound like veterans nine. to me yeah, anyway. Been, we, this is the same. We spot, camp in the same spot practically every year. Yeah. Okay. So what keeps, what, what keeps you coming back? Um, well, let me see. So many things. Um, a, I love bluegrass music. Okay. And I've been to Telluride once. 
and it took me as much money to get to Telluride as it cost me to be here for four days, you know, just to get out to Telluride. So having it here, you know, so close to home is a real plus. Yeah. Okay. Um, the acts are, you know, world-class acts, uh, both in, in terms of traditional bluegrass music and in, and in terms of uh, new people who are doing cutting-edge things, including some stuff that I don't really care for, but I like listening to what they're doing, you know. Um, uh, new grass and beyond. Okay? Yeah. There's, they're doing, they're doing, doing jazz grass and stuff like that. Which I like jazz, so and I like bluegrass. So some, some of the stuff I like, some of it I don't. Everybody's yeah. got their tastes. But the fact that they're coming here, the headline acts are coming here. That's important. Um, and uh, the so that's the number two. The number three is the ch- the chance to camp and jam with like-minded people. I mean, there's every, everybody's got instruments here, and, and uh, I've uh, I've sat down and jammed with a number of people here. Not only this weekend, but in previous years, you know, I've had the chance to jam with members of the Twenty Three String Band, and with members of Pokey Lafarge and his band, and it's just so it's an opportunity to really uh, sit down and jam with people to play play music. Plus, there's artist workshops. I went to a guitar workshop this afternoon with the guy who's guitarist for Ricky's Gags and Kentucky Thunder. So he's yeah, he, he, yeah. yeah he, he was quite uh, astonishing. I mean, yeah, just, very impressive. Yeah. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing them tonight. And so there, there's that too, the workshops. So I've I've already started altering my pick holding style. <laughs> do um, out of the, out of the eight or so years you've been here, I mean, do you have an act that I mean, one that stands out to you? Um, oh my gosh, uh, where to start? Um, I liked the Earls of Leicester a couple of years ago. Was that one of Jerry Douglas's? Um, Knock off. It was a. Uh, they do, you know, Lester and Earl. It's Flat and Scruggs mm-hmm. kind of review with with the Earls of Lester, but the the competency of the musicians just blew me away. Just pulled me out of the water. And and um, the Irish bluegrass we banjo three. We we banjo three last year, and actually Jig Jam today is is really. They're we've from Ireland. They're, we've seen them elsewhere, and and uh, they're astound, astonishingly good. So, so those stick out. Um, Pokey Lafarge, I I love him. I think that he's his, his bands are typically really really good. Mm-hmm. He knows a lot about roots music. So. Yeah. We always yeah. love seeing Sam Bush too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I interviewed Sam last year um, after he did one of his workshops right up here. Just and Sam, as you know, has been to Telluride for thirty odd years now, and um, he, it's the fact that he likes coming here the week after Telluride says something. You know, it is his home state. But he really enjoys, like he said, I, I like the heat and humidity. I don't mind the stickiness. It's, it's home. Yeah. yeah. So do you guys do many of these festivals? or Not as many as we'd like to, but, you know, as many as we can afford. Sure. Um, we've been to the, the Hartford Fest. We've been to Roots Fest in Fayetteville, Arkansas a couple of times. Um, I've been to Telluride once. Maryland hasn't. Um, I went to Winfield once uh, long, long ago before I really had a full appreciation for bluegrass music when I was just sort of young and dumb. So it was a nice place, a nice, yeah. nice experience. Um, but that's it. That's it. Yeah, so so you enjoyed the whole camping experience and being out here? And um, yes, yes. I would, there, there are parts of it that aren't that pleasant. When we got three inches of rain on Wednesday night, it wasn't that pleasant. But Thursday more than made up for it. It was a beautiful day. So overall, yes. Yeah, and I, and I guess that's what you get with these outdoor festivals is 
the weather is is almost like its own character, you know. And, you, and if you <laughs> if you do a lot of it, you come prepared for it. Yeah. Really. And you can see we we bring electricity to the neighborhood. We provide a recharging station uh, to, to all the campers in the area. Yeah. So is this a, a dobro? Is that what you call this it? This is a resonator guitar. Resonator. It's not, it's, it's not a uh, yeah, and and it's a called it's called a resophonic guitar. Even the dobros are, but this has a rounded neck, not a square neck, and the strings are set very close to the fretboard, so it's meant to be played like a guitar. It, you can bottleneck it. You can put play a slide on it, but the true dobro players, their strings are set a fair a fair a little higher above the fretboard. Okay. And finally. The weather is always almost its own character whenever it comes to romp, and it's part of romp's charm in, in, in a lot of ways because you never know. Well, you know it's going to be hot, but you never know really how hot. And this year was pretty warm, and but before it, but before that, there was a deluge of rain that um, that people weren't so sure about how it was going to affect the festival. But I sat down and I talked with Ross Lee, who is the Davis County Parks Director, and kind of took me through that process and the logistics and the manpower that goes in to putting on this festival and how they cope, you know, with the weather and then what they do after the festival ends. All right, I'm with Ross Lee, the Parks Director for the Davis County Parks Department. And so, Ross, we're here at Romp. And a lot of logistics that goes into planning this and you guys do a lot of planning and staging and everything that goes into it so just you know I know you guys were hit with a lot of rain early on uh, so you know talk about the weather uh, how it's affected the festival so far it was quite uh, depressing Monday morning opening up the uh, week of romp to be able to have a steady five or six hour rainfall and uh, finally, the sun broke out, of course, Monday afternoon, and then all of a sudden on Wednesday, we uh, get another three and a half or four inches here at the park, uh, which really kind of scared me. Uh, and, uh, you know, as far as the sheer number of people in the park on Wednesday and knowing how many more we had coming in. But uh, Mother Nature's really blessed us with uh, quite a lot of sunshine since then, these high temperatures and, and quite a bit of wind. Uh, I think that I think we've been able to pull through. So. Not any areas that you're concerned about. It's going to have to be, I don't know how you go, how you guys go back and repair things if you have, because obviously, regardless if you have rain or not, you got all this traffic and yeah. vehicles through here. But sure. Uh, so, are, are there any areas that you're concerned about? You're going to have to repair that the weather kind of help just further along the damage. Well, you know, there's a lot of uh, infrastructure that's been put in this park since uh, the inception of Romp. You know, I remember some of those very first years when we didn't have, uh, you know, a lot of these gravel roads and, and paths throughout the park. Uh, yeah, we've got some spots, of course, and, and once those dry up a little bit, you know, we've got a couple of implements to be able to use on the tractor to be able to work it back down, throw out a little uh, seed and a couple of bales of straw. And, and this time of year, that stuff grows pretty quick. So, you know, you give it a good three or four weeks after this and, and the park, Mother Nature and whatnot will have healed itself and, and uh, we'll be ready to go for uh, Romp 2020. So talk about the logistics of this and what does the Parks Department, what do you what do you guys have to do to get it ready and then maintain it once everybody starts arriving? Well, Don, the brilliance about, you know, everything that goes on with this event, uh, you know, now that with, within our 15th, 15th year, 
um, you know, is to be able to, re to, to realize that that's not just a parks department thing. It's, it's certainly turned into a, uh, a full-blown attack, so to speak, from, you know, our county's uh, EMA uh, department, emergency management, uh, the road department, uh, parks department, uh, engineering, uh, sheriff's department. Uh, it's, it's pretty much all hands on deck. And, um, of course, we, we kind of get a, a, an idea from the museum exactly what all's taking place when everybody's moving in so that, you know, we can kind of back up and make sure everything's ready to go before they get here. Um, and then we transition from, you know, getting set up uh, before they get here to actually taking care of the park while they are here. You know, we've added rock in past years if we needed to. Uh, there's lots of trash to be able to pick up, you know, the bathrooms to be able to keep clean. Uh, you know, it's just trying to be able to, to keep up with, you know, this size of crowd and, and uh, we kind of attack that, you know, on a regular basis. So, volunteer-wise, uh, how does how many volunteers do you guys, or at least attempt to recruit, I mean, uh, and, and what goes along? with that, what type of volunteer positions do you have? Well, this is the first time the Parks Department's actually recruited and uh, worked with volunteers. Uh, typically, the museum's the one that does all the volunteer recruitment. And so I understand, you know, there's between three and 350 uh, volunteers that they coordinate starting uh, earlier this week, and then, of course, all the way through tonight and tomorrow morning. Uh, from the Parks perspective, we were approached by a group of uh, military veterans uh, named Team Rubicon. Uh, this past week and so tomorrow morning uh, on Sunday uh, you know they're going to report here to the park and and assist our staff in trying to be able to get everything picked up and of course that's pretty simple but there's just a lot of it with regards to all the the trash cans getting those policed back up and, and being able to get all the trash picked up and be able to walk the trails and, and just return the park back to the state that it was in before the festival ever started and making sure that you know the general public who's going to be back in this park tomorrow is, is uh, pleased with you know what they find when they get here. So over the years since you guys um, have been doing this, I mean, have you? I mean, I know like it seemed like especially in the beginning, you know, you, it's trial and error. You know what works, what doesn't. Every year, I mean, have you got this down to a science now, or is it still? something you see something okay we could have done this better and then you tweak it for the next year I don't really think we're doing our job if we don't find something that we don't want to be able to change for next year uh, you know there's different ways to be able to do things and and uh, yeah we've got a lot of uh, a lot of the kinks worked out but you know there's always things that, that we kind of look at from behind the scenes and, and try to be able to make sure and make up you know a few notes about what we might try to do different next year uh, you know, just for an example, tonight uh, with our biggest crowd here at the park, uh, we've got uh, additional trash cans that we're going to deploy uh, just before we're unable to get through the crowd, uh, which is at about dusk. Uh, you know, we'll we'll make a judgment call and actually put out you know another 40 trash cans that we've got uh, held back, and, and that may seem kind of unusual, but. You know, what we found is that everybody tries to be able to get their trash in the cans, but if the can's not big enough, then they just pile it up around the outside. So for every one can that's already out there, we're going to set another can right beside it and just be able to capture that much more garbage, you know, that's been generated with a crowd this size. So you yourself, I mean, uh, just, I, mean, I know you're here with your family, but I mean, are you still kind of on the clock? I mean, are you, uh, I mean, for me, you know, there, there are certain parts of my job that I, it's working, but I don't consider it work, and this is one of those events. Is that kind of where you are? It is. It's it's kind of a unique experience, you know, to be able to try to, to share with uh, my own family, you know, what it's like to be able to have something like this. Um, you know, they're they're very uh, uh, happy to be able to uh, 
assist us in, in being able to, to go around and picking up some garbage and stuff. And, and um, you know, it's kind of fun to be able to work with them. Like I said, it's, it's not work. Uh, it, it's very humbling to be able to think, you know, that we have this kind of talent and this size of stage and that size of crowd, you know, that's in this park, uh, you know, here in, in Davis County, Kentucky. Uh, it's a, a very unique experience and, and uh, one, quite frankly, I never thought that I would have in my career uh, you know, I've been uh, consistent with this thing, like I said, for the last 15 years and really been able to see it grow, you know, from where it was, you know, those first few years to where we are now and, and uh, working, you know, week after week with the museum staff and, you know, just trying to be able to make sure that, that we fit the mission of the Parks Department, providing a safe facility and, and, and an enjoyable opportunity. Now, have you had to turn anyone away this time around? I, I think last year you guys turn some folks because there's just so many people. There was some talk yesterday about possibly having to close the gates. Uh, it was last year, of course, on the last night when Allison Krause was here, and of course she was the big headliner. Uh, and, and, you know, it, that at that time was the actual 15th anniversary of ROM. Uh, they did one year downtown and then moved it to Yellow Creek Park, you know, for the space. And, and so, you know, they, they really wanted to bring in that big name, and they did that. And, and about 2 o'clock that Sunday, excuse me, Saturday afternoon, they decided you know, they really need to be able to close gate sales. We were we were in capacity. You know, we didn't want to take away from everybody else's experience that was in the park. Uh, and and uh, you, you, you run a fine line with that. You know, just too many people, it's it's um, it's just not all that enjoyable. So it didn't, have to, didn't come to that this year? It did not. There was, like I said, some talk about it last night, but you know, as of right now, uh, everything's looking good. Uh, you know, we're firing on all eight cylinders, so to speak, and plenty of accommodations and 152 acres. Uh, got great music, uh, wonderful blue skies. The temperatures will start dropping back down into the 70s here in a little bit, just as soon as that sun gets down, and uh, the magic of romp will happen. Yeah, that's Delamay. Yeah, absolutely. Ross, thanks. It's my pleasure. And that will do it for this week's show. But I want to invite you to stick around at the end to listen to the Glenville State College bluegrass players, who are also part of the workshop. A pretty impressive group of folks. So I want to remind you to send us questions or provide feedback. Email us at newscast at messenger-inquire.com. Remember, you can find us on the Messenger Inquire's website, Facebook, and iTunes, where you can subscribe to Inquire. Until next time, I'm Don Wilkinson. Good day for Inquire. And here are the Glenville State College Bluegrass Players.
Destruction 